place. Um, we are completely okay as a church with not knowing what to do when we get in the presence of God. And rather than try to, you know, get our own agenda across and uh, stop, you know, people from encountering the presence of God, we just let it go. I figure that uh, God doing God's thing is a lot better than me or Pastor Brian trying to do God's thing. And so if you were wondering, you know, why would it just seem like we were just hanging right there saying the name of Jesus for what felt like, you know, 10 or 15 minutes? Well, because people were saying the name of Jesus, and that's the best thing that they can do. And the goal, the goal of, of a Sunday morning worship experience is not... Um, is not to, to hear a good message from God. That's, that's not the goal. Now, that might happen. The goal is not to uh, sing some good songs, and although that might happen. The goal for what we are here to do this morning is to encounter the presence of God. And if that happens in the middle of the song, or if that happens in the middle of the sermon, if that happens in an altar prayer time, so be it. The goal is to meet God. And we do that not on our terms, on God's terms. He gets to set the agenda. So I just want to take the moment to kind of share with you, those of you who may not be familiar with uh, the way we worship, now you are. And you can tell your friends, and they can come and encounter the presence of God, and we'll change a city. It'll be awesome. Um, before we start, I, I, I would be amiss if I didn't recognize uh, this particular individual because um, my role here for the last year um, has been working with uh, the different aspects of family ministry and someone who has just been completely over the top um, willing and helpful and just embodies what it means to be a servant. Um, Troy Barnes, who's also one of our elders, he, um, yeah, you can give him a hand. He has uh, been volunteering in our kids ministry uh, since before uh, I mean, since really the beginning of Vertical Church and even before then. Um, and, and I just want to say thank you. Troy and his family are moving to New Jersey. Uh, Troy has, has received a promotion uh, with the Army, and he's going on to do uh, greater things there, and we will sadly miss him. But I say that all to say, not just thank you, Troy, but we have all sorts of openings in our kids' ministry. His wife, Meredith, also volunteers in the preschool, and those are two uh, holes that are not, those are shoes that are not easily filled, um, taking more than just two people to fill those. So if you are interested in kids' ministry, both uh, elementary or preschool, let me tell you, we have plenty of openings. Uh, we, have, we have opportunities all over the place for you to jump in and, and get involved and volunteer. Well, like Pastor Brian said earlier, we're finishing up our Acts series. Uh, we're, we're wrapping it up today uh, talking about shipwrecks and snake bites. And I know you're wondering, what in the world are we talking about shipwrecks and snake bites? Just a reminder, if you have your um, mobile phone, if you have the Uversion app, you can follow along with us there. Uh, search on live events, search vertical, and it'll be called snake bites or shipwrecks and snake bites. Um, recently, my son Lex, who is in the preschool, he is four and a half. He'll turn five in September. He recently got this book. Now, some of you, if you can see it, maybe you'll recognize it. It's called Alexander and the Terrible 
horrible, no good, very bad day. And I don't know if you've ever read this book. I've read this book, and it's, uh, it's entertaining. Matter of fact, let's just take a moment. I'm going to read you the first couple of pages because I, I feel like maybe some of you can, can relate to this. Perhaps you can relate to the kind of day that uh, Alexander's having. Listen, this is page one. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal, cereal box, and Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box. But in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. In the carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window, too. I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said, if I don't get a seat by the window, I'm going to be car sick. No one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Have you ever had a bad day? Just, I mean, where nothing seems to go right, and, and it's like Alexander. As a, as a matter of fact, I, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly, there's some kind of a song that talks about... Because you had a bad day, you take it one down, you sing a sad song just to tell you this song? Man, this song, like, it, it kind of embodied what everybody feels like when they had a bad day. You had a bad day. Oh, it's like Alexander, man. It's the terrible... Horrible, no good, very bad day. You know, that song was actually, do you remember uh, a couple, maybe four years ago, three years ago, that song was like the exit song from American Idol. <laughs> like, not only did America not like you and vote for you, but guess what? You got a bad day, and we're going to play this song as you walk off and never to be seen from again. And so, but, you know, that song's kind of the soundtrack for failure. If you fail, just put that song on and you can cry and, and just wallow in your patheticness because you had a bad day. But you know what? Sometimes it's more than just a bad day. You know, sometimes it's a bad day. You know, you stub your toe. You don't find a toy in your breakfast cereal. You know, something doesn't go right and it's just a bad day. And some days it's more than a bad day. You know, some days it's your parent gets diagnosed with cancer. Well, that's a little bit bigger than a bad day. Because a bad day might just throw you off for a, for a day, but when it's more than a bad day, that just kind of throws your whole world off. And you just kind of go into a tailspin because there are certain days that are worse than bad days. There are certain days that are even worse than a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Like Alexander, he wants to move to Australia. There are some days that are so bad that you don't want to leave your house. It's the day that, that, the, uh, that the divorce papers get delivered. And you realize something that you've been pouring your life into is now crumbling in front of you and gone. It's the day you find out whatever it is that you found out. Have you ever had that kind of day? The world doesn't seem to, to make any sense. And the world doesn't seem like it's, it's, it's going to be right ever again. Have you ever felt like that? Let's talk about that this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Acts chapter 27. We're going to start at verse 13, and I'm, I'm not going to read uh, the portion of Scripture in Acts 27. If you'd allow me to just hit the highlights. 
because it's a long, we're going from 27 verse 13 all the way through 28 verse 10. So, so just kind of keep your finger there. Or put the little tab right there. You know, Paul, Paul's already had a bad time. I mean, he's already been arrested. He's been, uh, he's been beaten. He's been, he's been kicked. I mean, he, his life has completely uh, been taken from him. And now, at the height of, of his uncertainty, he, he says, well, you know what? I'm going to make my case in front of Caesar. Take me to Rome. Because he was a Roman citizen, he had the right to do that. So they put Paul on a ship, and they've set sail for Rome. But some things start happening. The wind kicks up. He tries to tell them, earlier he tries to tell them, hey, we should winter here. We shouldn't go any further. But they don't listen to him because they're trying to get to where they're trying to go. And, and bad things start happening. First, a storm kicks up. And then they've got to start throwing stuff overboard because the ship is just being tossed to and fro in the, in the middle of the sea. And people are starting to wonder, am I going to make, this, make, make it out of this thing alive? And the soldiers are nervous, and the, 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 we're talking about Roman imperial guards are, are nervous and, and frightened in the middle of this storm. And the storm just keeps going. And eventually it's two weeks, and they're still, they can't control the ship, and, and, and the wind is blowing, and they have no control whatsoever over the, over the course of the, the ship is taking. They are lost at sea. Eventually, Paul would tell them to eat, and when they ate, they kind of recovered some energy. Then they threw the rest of the food over. So they're just trying to survive. Then some more wind began to blow, and they, they saw an island, and they, they thought they were going to make it, but the, the ship crashed into the reef and broke up. And Paul said, listen, everybody's going to be okay. We just have to stick together. And so some of them grabbed two pieces of wood, and some of them swam, but they all made it to the shore. My, the, the closest thing that I've ever had to being shipwrecked, I was in um, college, and I was on a lake in South Carolina on a, uh, like a jet ski sea-doo. It was like a two-seater, maybe a three-seater. I'm not sure. And me and my friend Brandon uh, were on this sea-doo jet ski. If you know what it's called, forgive me, I'm probably making a mess of it. But we're on this thing, and I got a i got to kind of describe my friend Brandon for you very nicely because maybe at some point he'll listen to this or watch this. My friend Brandon is not a small person. He is about 5'9", probably 5'10". But he, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a big boy. Uh, I, I mean, large, okay? He knows this. He wouldn't be embarrassed if I said this. And we're on that thing, and one of us, I don't remember who's, who's driving, I guess you're driving. I don't know if you're driving. Anyway, we cut it, and the thing, you know, flipped over, and we thought it was hilarious. So as we climbed back on and we tried to start it, in the middle of this huge lake, well, it didn't start. I don't know why. I'm not a mechanical expert, but it didn't start. And the people we were staying with had already put up their boat. So me and my friend Brandon are stuck in the middle of this lake with this piece of equipment, and we don't have a way to get to shore. So it takes us what felt like an eternity 
Okay, because I'm not a great swimmer. I can do okay, but I'm not like, I'm not Michael Phelps or anything. We got one hand on the jet ski, and we're doggy paddling with the other hand, just trying to get to the, to the shoreline. And remember, he's not small. And so he's, you know, struggling, and I'm struggling. We're just trying to drag this thing up. Eventually, we finally made it, and that was exhausting. Listen, y'all, I have hiked out of the Grand Canyon. Bright, uh, I think it's called Bright Angel Trail, 9.2 miles. That was harder than the Grand Canyon. Oh, and, and let me tell you, in, in the middle of that experience, I, I felt nauseous because I thought I was going to just ex- getting, using so much energy, uh, just the adrenaline pumping. And then when we kind of washed up on the, the little beach there, just completely drained. And I was only out there in a lake as boats are zoom, the wake is crashing over my head. Um, I was only out there for maybe an hour. Paul had experienced this thing for two weeks, and he's in the middle of the sea. What do you think he felt like? You've got to imagine he felt pretty anxious, pretty nervous, pretty scared. I mean, shipwrecks are scary things. You imagine that when he washed up on shore, he was completely drained. He had no energy left. And right when you thought his bad day couldn't get any worse, it does. You have your Bibles in Acts chapter 28, beginning with verse 1. It says this, Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, if you don't know what a viper is, that's a snake, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. Really? God? Really? I just washed up on shore from being tossed at sea for two weeks, and the first thing I do to, build a, to, to help build a fire to get a little bit of heat, and a snake comes out and bites me, that is worse than a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. It's like, really? And then listen to this. When the islanders, the, the people who have been so kind, saw the snake hanging from his hand, so you've got to imagine he, and then it, it's just hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. So this is a poisonous snake. This isn't just like a garter snake or a black snake. This is like a rattlesnake. Now, they don't have probably rattlesnakes on, on the island of Malta, but you get what I'm saying. This is a poisonous, deadly snake. They're expecting Paul to die. His day went from bad to worse, if, if there was a bad luck club, I think being shipwrecked and then being bitten by a snake qualifies you for lifetime membership. You stubbed your toe? No. You got bit by a snake after you've been shipwrecked, you're in. So Paul is absolutely having a horrible day. But thankfully, the story doesn't stop there. It goes on. In verse 5, but Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no, no ill effects. 
The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. Remember, from a snake. I've seen people get bit by a copperhead and their hands swell up. They expected Paul to swell up and then just kill over. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. In other words, a revival broke out on the island of Malta. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sell, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Now, let me state the absolute obvious. Paul and Publius should have never met. There is no way Paul should have ever had the audience with the chief official of the island of Malta. Paul is an imperial prisoner of Rome. He is a prisoner I mean, can you imagine a prisoner today going in and saying, hey, I want to meet with the mayor? It ain't going to happen. Same thing for Paul. Can you imagine Paul trying to say, um, you know what, I, th- I think, uh, I know I'm a prisoner and all, but I think that I'm supposed to go pray for the chief official's father. He's going to be healed. Shut up, Paul. You're a prisoner. You don't get the chance to do that. You have no rights. You're shackled and chained, dude. Just... Just sit there and, and you'll, you'll get your day in court. Paul and Publius should never have crossed each other's path. You see, it took a shipwreck to get Paul on the right island. And it took a snake bite to get him an audience with the chief official. Because God has a habit of turning shipwrecks and snake bites into supernatural opportunities that serve his purpose. We're going to talk about this morning, shipwrecks and snake bites. You see, this wasn't wasn't extraordinary for Paul. This wasn't uncommon for something tragic to happen to him, but then it, it come out and actually serve some kind of good purpose. In Acts chapter 16, Paul is preaching in Troas, not because he wanted to go there, but because the Holy Spirit said, you're not allowed to go to Bithynia. Paul had made plans. He had tried to get to this region, what is kind of modern-day Turkey. The Holy Spirit says no, shuts the door. So he's got to come up with something different. In Acts chapter 17, if you're familiar with the the speech that Paul gives on Mars Hill, where he he quotes uh, different philosophers and poets from their own kind of uh, country, and, and he says, you know, you worship God's made of human hands, but I'm here to tell you about the God who, you know, I was walking around the city of Saul to an unknown God. That story, he's there. Do you want to know why Paul's there? Because a mob tried to beat him up in Thessalonica. They were ready to kill him, and so he, 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 he kind of tore out of town and ended up in Athens, and he's just waiting on his buddies to show up, and so he begins sharing the gospel. This isn't uncommon for Paul to have to kind of take the bad and give it to God and allow something good to come out of it. Because Paul understood that sometimes a closed door is the very thing that gets us where God wants us to go. 
Because a closed door, a shipwreck, or a snake bite, or, or a, a day that's worse than a bad day, well, it, it can be very disorienting. It can, it can completely throw you for a loop. It's those time, it's that in-between time. You know, in-between jobs, when, when you're putting in applications and you're, you're sending in resumes and nobody's, nobody's calling you back. And you're just disoriented. It's that time between relationships. When a relationship is ended that you've invested in and you don't know what the future holds. It's that, it's that time between a rock and a hard place. And you don't know what the future looks like. It's, it's when you get the pink slip. It's when you get the papers. It's when you're only allowed to see your daughter every other weekend. And you're wondering what in the world is going on. I'm completely disoriented. You see, what I've learned in life, every chapter of life has an orientation. Have you ever noticed this? When you go to, you take your kid to kindergarten, you have a kindergarten orientation. Because you've kind of got to learn the lay of the lay. You know, you've got to learn what's going on. When I went to high school, we had a high school orientation. I went to a school that had a junior high for 7th through 9th graders and a high school for 10th through 12th graders. So when I was in 9th grade near the end of that school year, we took a trip to the high school because we had to go through orientation. We had to learn where our classes were going to be. We had to meet the teachers. We had to kind of get a feel for what was about to happen. Same thing when you go to college. You have a college orientation. Maybe when you start a new job, you have an orientation because you've got to get used to your surroundings. But it seems like God doesn't like orientations. It seems like God prefers disorientations. It seems like God works to begin a new chapter in your life or to begin a new chapter in your, your ministry. God will disorient you, throw you completely off, because that's how God works. Think of the disciples. You know, a lot of times we think the disciples are just morons because they couldn't get it. But Jesus practiced disorientation with them. We think that they were that way because they lacked some kind of spiritual maturity, but maybe they're that way because that's how God makes disciples. Have you ever thought about that? He disorients us so that, so that he alone can then reorient us. He completely throws us for a loop completely messes up all of our plans and strategies so that when he begins to do it, he gets the credit for it. And how we handle that disorientation will determine the trajectory that our life takes. See, we can run away. When we get in the middle of, of, of that, that experience, we can run the other way. We can, we can reject God. We can say, I don't want this. This isn't for me. I thought life was going to be better than this. I thought when I gave my life to you, it was going to be all fruity pebbles and lucky charms, and it was just going to be breakfast cereal every night for dinner. I don't want this. I'm done. That, that person, that person cheated, cheated me out of everything that I have. God, and you let that happen. I, I'm done. I don't want any of this. Or, because that's one option, we can do that. We can run away. Or, we can give Jesus complete control. I like to think of it of, of giving Jesus complete editorial control. Because so many of us, you know, so many of us have trusted Jesus as our Savior to forgive our sins. 
yet we're holding back the, the, the right to write the direction of our future? So that we trust Jesus as Savior, but we don't really trust him as the author of our life? You ever notice that? Yes, Jesus, it's great. I'm glad you forgave me of my sins, but I'm going to still do things the way I want to do them. It doesn't work that way with Jesus. He wants to be the author of a better story that maybe you don't know anything about. And what disorientation will do to us is it will cause us, if we, if we trust in Jesus, if we say, okay, I don't know what's going on, but Jesus, I'm going to trust in you because you have a better story to write than I could ever imagine. So I'm, I'm going to believe you and believe that you are faithful and believe that you are good and I'm going to trust you with my life. When we allow disorientation to do what God wants it to do, we begin to seek after God with a raw intensity that can't be felt any other way except through disorientation. We begin to seek God with this just raw passion because what disorientation does is it places us in a position of complete dependence upon God. It's what disorientation does. It leads us to total dependence upon God. Think of, you, think, think of the relationship that you have with your kids. See, I, I have two kids, a four-and-a-half-year-old four and a two-year-old. And the goal of parenting is to take this incredibly dependent child, baby, infant. You've got to change their diaper. You've got to spoon-feed them. You've got to put the bottle. You've got to do everything. They can do nothing for themselves. And to in a, through a process of of leading them, I'm trying to take this completely dependent infant and raise them up to an independent adult. This is the process of parent child. You know, when they're a toddler, they can do it. They can feed themselves, but don't let them cook. Wouldn't be a good idea. You know, they can they can dress themselves, but you need to kind of see what they've put on. Don't let them just walk out the door because they may have something crazy on. You know, they may be wearing, my son, it's like 95 degrees outside and he's trying to wear uh, jeans and a long sleeve shirt. No, dude, you need to put some shorts on. You're going to be sweating. I mean, he wears shorts and a tank top and be sweating. But jeans and a sweatshirt doesn't work in the middle of June. So, you know, but they're a little bit more independent. He can put his own clothes on. You know, they become a teenager. They think they know it all. And they know nothing. They're actually more dependent upon you than anything. Even as a, more than an infant, they don't realize this. But a little bit more independent. Maybe they can drive. Now they can take themselves to places and you're not the taxi. Then when they become an adult, hopefully you, if you've done your job as a parent, they are completely independent. But it doesn't work this way with God. You see, God finds us in a completely independent position, independent of him in our sin, basically saying, God, I don't, thanks, but no thanks. I don't need that. I, what it means to not know God is that you are independent of his grace. I don't need that. I don't need you for that. And the process of maturity, see, the process of maturity for us, just a human person is dependence to independence. The process of maturity for a Christian is complete independence to total dependence. See, you know how you know what a, a true follower of Jesus? Because their, their, their attitude towards God is, whatever you got, 
I need all the help I can get. I can't make it on my own. I can't do it on my own. I am completely dependent upon you. And sometimes it takes a shipwreck or a snake bite to get us there. God knows this. God knows that we need to be disoriented so that then we can completely depend on him. Because when we are totally dependent upon God, then his dreams for us start becoming a reality. Because God, remember, God wants all the credit. God wants all the glory for whatever he does through your life. And it's only when you are completely dependent upon him and people are like, you did that? No, I, I'm not, I can't do that. God did that. All right, well, God gets the credit for it. You see, we put so much pressure on ourselves as if, as if the eternal plans of the Almighty God were contingent upon our ability to decipher them. Like, I have to understand the plans of God, and if I don't, then it's not going to happen. But the truth is that God wants to reveal His dreams, His desires, His, His plans for your life more than you want to know them. He wants to show them to you, to reveal them to you more than you want to know them. And sometimes we think if we have one misstep or, or make one mistake, we can frustrate his plans. And if you believe that, let me share something with you. Your God is way too small. If your one misstep can completely throw his plans off. I'd like to introduce you to a bigger God than that. Because not only... Does God want us to get where he wants us to go more than we want to get there? But he's awfully good at it, at getting us there. Not only, not only is God concerned and not only does God want us to, to live the purpose that he has for us, not only does he want us to know what that is, but he's pretty good at revealing it. And we get so caught up in trying to figure out all these different things because God may not reveal his plans how or when we want him to, but if we are chasing after him, our, our future is his responsibility. It's not ours. Because remember, the process is disorientation. I'm totally dependent upon God. God, whatever you want, I'm, you're writing a better story than I could ever imagine, so I'm just going to trust you. You know what, let's, let's kind of pause here. Do me a favor. We need a total participation. Everybody take just a second and just take a big deep breath in. That was about 50% of the people do it. Let's try it one more time. Don't take too big a deep a breath and don't take a lot because then you'll pass out. It's what we used to do in junior high. Um, those of you that have done that are laughing. Like I did it too. Um, Let's do that one more time. Everybody, everybody, and don't, I'm too cool to do that. Do it. Trust me. Just take a big, deep breath in. You know what that does? That just relaxes you physically. And you know what? Trusting in the sovereignty of God, that God is good and that he is great, and if he wants something to happen, he's going to make it happen. Man, that can just put you at ease. And you're in the middle of the disorientation. If you just stop and, you know, God's got this under control. I know things are crazy and it's scary and I don't know what's going on and I'm nervous and it hurts, but I'm just going to trust that God is good 
and he's going to get me through this. Because apparently he's using some kind of shipwreck or snake bite to position me in the right place at the right time. How did Paul end up on the island of Malta? Think about this. I know it's a shipwreck, but, but it, it says that it wasn't because of some kind of navigational skill of the captain. And it certainly wasn't because of some kind of sailing skill of the crew. They landed on Malta because of something totally beyond their control. The wind. The wind. is the wind factor. Headwinds made it difficult for them to steer the ship and keep it on course. So they changed course and then a light wind began to blow from the south and then gale force winds began to batter the ship. But it took the wind, something completely out of his control, to get Paul where God wanted him to go. You know what? There's not a thing you can do about the wind. You can't control it. You can't stop it. You can't change its direction. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 8, about the Holy Spirit, it says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus likened the activity of the Holy Spirit to the wind. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is a light wind and just kind of nudges you. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is a gale force wind that knocks you over. Sometimes he's a wind at your face, and sometimes he's a wind at your back. But we have to trust, we have to trust the wind more than we trust our own plans. Here's what I've realized about my own life. I am consumed with the idea of getting from point A to point B in as short as amount of time as possible. I will map it out, and I will annoy uh, my wife until she's punching me in the throat. So I'm like, I think we can get there faster if we take this way. You know, in life, getting where God wants us to go isn't nearly as important as becoming who God wants us to be. Because God's dream for you isn't a location. It's not a career or success or some sort of achievement. God's dream for you is to live like his son. And his focus and his, his plan for you is to get you to a place where you are living like him. And sure, shipwrecks are painful and scary and snake bites hurt. And I know right now that your world is caving in and nothing makes sense and you don't know what in the world has happened. I have good news for you. You don't have to do it alone. There's an interesting little, uh, we, we kind of mentioned it, in that whole passage where Paul is, is working with these sailors and other prisoners, he makes this point over and over and over again. Some people want to leave. Some people want to jump ship. And Paul says, don't jump ship. If we all stay together and we link up and we hold each other up and we encourage each other and we, we swim with each other and we... We grab wood for each other so they can float. If we'll all stay together, we're going to make it out alive. He says this time and time again in the passage. And as I was reading that this week, man, I knew that for somebody in the room, you need to hear me say this. You're going to make it out alive. You are going to make it out 
alive. I know you don't know how. I, don't, I know you don't know where it's going to come from. Right now, you're in the middle of the disorientation. You're just wondering what in the world God's doing. Let me tell you, you're going to make it out alive. By the power of God, by the grace of Jesus Christ, you are going to make it out alive. Here's why I can say that so confidently. Because this church is for you. We exist for you. We exist for all those who find themselves in that disorientation. Because some of you, God is messing up your world because he's trying to draw you to a point of salvation. Some of you. Some of you, he's messing up your world because he's about to write a new chapter. We're here for you. We'll stand with you. We'll pray with you. Right now, matter of fact, let's do that. Let's do that. I've asked a, several couples to come and, and join me in the, in the front area. So if you'll go ahead and make your way up. We want to take just a couple moments. Because when you're in the middle of the storm, what you need more than anything is to know somebody's got your hand. That you don't have to do this alone. You got people you can trust in. You got people who will stand with you and will pray with you. And when you get tired of swimming and you don't think you can make it anymore, they'll grab you and put you on their back and swim a little bit with you. Or they'll, they'll swim over and grab a plank, a broken up piece of the ship, and hand it to you and say, here, float on this for a while. That's what we do as a church. Pray for each other. Some of you have shipwrecks in your marriage and you don't know where things are going. Maybe you've got a, a snake bite in your finances and you're looking at a stack of bills and you don't know how you're going to pay them. Maybe it's no fault of your own. Maybe it was bad decisions. Maybe you didn't spend your money wisely. But now you find yourself in the middle of trying to depend on God and you're not really sure how that looks. Maybe you have a son or daughter who isn't here right now and you wish that they were here. Their life is completely disoriented. We want to take just a few moments to pray with you. So I'm going to ask right now if everybody would just stand. And please don't go anywhere. If, if this doesn't apply to you, would you just hang, hang tight in your seat? We're going, to, we're going to make some announcements at the end of service. We're going to take up our offering. We're going to do all that. But, but right now, let's just all, matter of fact, unless you, it's a, an emergency, don't leave. Don't leave and distract somebody, and then they say, well, I'm distracted. I'm not going to go forward for prayer. This isn't for you. Your part is to create an atmosphere where God moves. So, so would you just begin praying right now? You're thinking, my life's great, man. I'm, just begin praying right now for those people who are in the middle of the shipwreck. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Whatever it is. Amen. It could be your, it could be your job. It could be your, your marriage. It could be your kids. It could be your parents. I don't know. But you just find yourself in the middle of the shipwreck. And you're completely disoriented and you're just trying to make sense of things. 
Would you let us pray with you? Would you let us do that? We want to pray with you. We want to lay hands on you, and we want to let you know that you're not going to do this alone. We're going to, we're going to walk with you. We're going to stand with you. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to challenge you. Step out of your seat. Come forward. Find one of these people and say, would you pray with me? I'm in the middle of a shipwreck, and I need some help. On the count of three. One, two, three. If that's you, just take a step. Just take a step. Don't, don't hold back. Don't wait. God is here for you, and he wants to, he wants to heal you. He wants to, you know, some of you, some of you need to find Jesus. Some of you right now, your shipwreck is that you don't know God. And maybe you did at one point in your life, but you need to give your life back over to Him. You need to recommit your life. Sometimes God will use a shipwreck to get you back home. people who you you feel confident in your relationship with Jesus to come up and pray with these who are standing if you're a if you're an elder in the church feel free to come up you can say you know I've been with Jesus for a while I can pray for somebody just come up and put tap somebody on the shoulder and say I want to pray with you right now Thank you. If you're sitting in your seat, like so many of you are doing right now, I can see you. Just continue praying. You've been there before. You know what it's like. So you, you're more equipped than anybody to pray right where you're at.
secret place where I can be with you and you can make me like you wrap me in your arms wrap me in your arms wrap me in your Sometimes it's a, 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 just a shout of praise, and sometimes it's just, I give up. I give up. I surrender. I submit to you. I recognize that I'm not wiser, smarter than you, God. And I lift my hands as a, just a show of surrender. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you, God, for your presence this morning. We thank you, God, for meeting with us here. God, in the middle of our crazy life, in the middle of our disorientation, in the middle of the uncertainty and the unknown that we find ourselves in so many times, you are faithful, God, to meet us right there. 
Lord, it's, it's like the story of the prodigal son. He's disoriented, God, in all, and he, he didn't know what's going on. He kind of comes to his realization that he can depend on, on the Father. The Father doesn't make him walk all that long way home alone. God, but the Father in this story runs out to meet him. And God, I feel like this morning that you have run out to meet some of us in the middle of our mess. So we thank you for that, God. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for meeting us where we are. If you have your uh, program, would you go ahead and grab that? It's been good to be with you this morning. It's great. God is good. He is great. and He is faithful.